0: What's up everyone and welcome to the Long Game podcast hosted by Thomas Koppelman and Trey DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short bite-sized episodes.
1: Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan.
0: All right, what's up and welcome back everyone to another episode of the long game podcast today. I'm joined by Andre Nader. I even like, I think I mispronounced my own name. Like I, I sit there and I'm like kopelman and I'm like, wait, I think my parents say the last name. I, I don't know if I have like a enunciation problem, but anyways, thanks for joining me today, man. I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, I think you'll be one, at least one of the first, like two or three guests that are not a financial planner, but like, I almost view you in the lens of like, you're, I I guess I've had financial influencers on and you're pretty much kind of in that realm. Like you, you have a passion for financial planning and helping people. I, I wonder if we look forward into your future, if maybe like when you're done or you hit your fire or whatever, like you'll have like a financial planning coaching business or something like that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really excited to be on here. Um, And that's what I've I've thought about, too, And one of the ways that I kind of approach writing about personal finances. And I find myself in my own vacation times or days off or um, like mental health days, spending time actually writing about fire, writing about personal finances and writing about helping my peers that work at fame companies um, have that same optionality in their lives to be able to think about fire, which is a ridiculous concept. So I don't think it's a, a far stretch to see like, hey, like what does fire look like for me? it's definitely not doing nothing. Maybe it is kind of going into this uh, coaching realm, finance realm, um, a little bit deeper and spending more time there since I'm I'm clearly enjoying it on my side time, extra time off.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can see it just through like everything that you do, the passion that you have. And I'm actually uh, curious, do you feel more passionate about personal finance or your job?
1: Um, The... If my boss is watching, I'm more passionate about my my job. But I think the, the thing that, like, I I really enjoy my job and, like, the challenges that it, it presents and kind of, like, the scale of the problems that um, I'm solving. Um, and if and your anything... Role,
0: your role, you're, yeah. you're the product growth leader at Meta, just for everybody to know, because we didn't mention that before, which is yeah. a pretty impressive job, super cool place to be. Um, and so congrats to you on where you're at.
1: Yeah. Now, I've, I've been 15 years in tech and then the last nine years, I'm at Meta in this product growth role, which is really around helping teams use data to understand how people are using their products and ultimately grow it. Um, so essentially it's a a all about growth and how to increase usage of your products, increase um, the success of the business, increase um, the overall like health of the different products that we're building. And basically what I've been doing on um, in my own personal finances. It's like, that's just how my mind is, is spends all day at work is thinking about growth, thinking about growth, thinking about growth. And then I don't know how I wouldn't be able to in my own personal life, um, extend that same thing. Um, and I'm not sure which one came first. I think the it's definitely one where on the personal side, I've always been an optimizer. So I think it's fortunate that I was able to find a role in a job that's also heavily into that optimization mindset where it's all around like, what are those like 1% or 2% gains? And what are those 1% or 2% optimizations that I could be making? Um, and the personal side early on, it was like, okay, let me get credit card sign up points. Let me um, chase interest rates. Um, let me figure out how to um, get discounts on every single thing I'm buying. Um, and then translating that into like, Hey, there's actual careers and jobs where you could be doing this um, entirely. And the scale can be in like the millions and billions. Um, it ends up being really fun. Um, But the passion, like... yeah, sorry. Guys.
0: Do you, no, I was just saying, do you feel like as you've gained wealth, you've moved less, like more away from that? Because like, that's something I find is like the, the earlier on people are, the more we're chasing those things. And then you're like, okay, well maybe I'm not going to pretend I know you're as household income, but two people working at fan companies, equity comp, let's say you make $750,000 a year, Did- right? Like, so then you optimize your six month emergency fund. You move half a percent, and that's five hundred bucks a year. Or you're like, ah, that doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. Like, why am I thinking about this? Is that kind of like the the change that's happened for you? Or are yeah, you like I, such a growth person that you always think about it?
1: No, I, I think you hit the nail of the head. Like early on in my career, when I was just getting started, I was chasing every single credit card sign up. But, um, so every single credit card signup offer. Um, I would be buying things and sending in rebates, doing all of that. And then now I'm at the point where like, what's the ROI of me doing that? Um, I actually value my time way more than I value um, getting those discounts on things. Um, and I think it's gotten to the point where I'm like, actually looking for more opportunities to spend to be able to get me more time back. So um, I'm married, both myself and my wife work in tech and we have a five-year-old. And so the uh, demands on time end up being more important to me than um, what is an incremental hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars per month um, when in I don't know if you t- said that to 20 year 21 year old me I would have been like thousand dollars a month that's an insane like you could be able to yeah. um, like save that and over 30 years that would be X dollars compounded and like that be- that's so true early on but then as time goes on it becomes like such a smaller and smaller portion um of your overall wealth and like again I think about things in terms of like incrementality of like okay what if you do this versus if you don't do this like what is the incremental value that you're getting and like it just the ends up being so cost. marginal yeah the opportunity cost it's like the margin it just ends up being so marginal once you um are further along in your career um particularly when you're in tech and, and earning those higher incomes at the more senior um, levels it just becomes like I'm not squeezing every, every penny anymore. I'm not looking for that. Like 1% on, on my own personal time or my own personal life, definitely on the time I'll take every 1% of time that I can get.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I know a bunch of other financial planners and they're like anti-hiring for super long. And I know I'm a lot farther along than the average person, you know, two years into the business, my income is really good. I have nothing to complain about there, but like every decision I make is about like, Spent letting me spend less time on certain things and more time in things that I like. So I hire, you know, I have a basically EA/slash financial planner starting. I have an assistant. These are all things that directly change the take-home pay that I have, but it allows me to have more happiness, more free time, which to me I, I really want to prioritize. I think you and I think a lot alike. And I think sometimes I'm an optimizer to the fault too. Like I, I just think about like, I get back from the gym. Like I, I throw my bagel into the toaster, hop in the shower. So I don't waste any time, get back out, start the eggs. Then when I can butter, like make it like, I just yep. think in the way of like, how do I get every single possibly pot thing done in the most efficient way? Yep. And I think there's good and bad to it. And I think when you let that bleed into your financial life, again, that's good and bad. Like you have this whole side of the world of people who are like, I waste so much money. I'm, I'm actually really terrible with money. I don't care about any optimization. And then you have the other side of the people who are like, I, I don't waste a single dollar. I optimize every single thing I do. And in all reality, we'd all be a little bit better off in the middle, but it's so hard to find your way yeah. in the middle. And I think, you know, this conversation and what I'm really excited about is you wanted to come on and talk about FIRE, which I think is like a really great topic, especially because it's so common for people in fan companies, people with equity comp, especially because a lot of these type of jobs are, they're grind jobs, right? Like you, yeah. you work really hard, you get compensated for it. There's no denying you get compensated for it. But a lot of people are like, okay, well, I'm going to do this until I can kind of get out. But what I found here, and I think you listened to our last podcast about this. You said maybe we were a little bit harsh on fire. And I think part of why I I, I talk about it in that way is because I again, I find nobody in this middle, like or not nobody, but very few people, right? Like most people I find are either like, yeah, you know, we're we'll just kind of live our life and we'll retire whenever we can retire, it'll be fine. Or I'm eating rice and chicken for every single meal. Me and my family of four live in an $800 a month, one, you know, two bedroom place. We never go on vacations. And it's like, I don't know if either of these are wrong, but I feel like there's a way better spot to be in the middle.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, And that's kind of what um, drew me um, originally to want to talk about this and kind of like even just get into my own um, writing on my, on my newsletter about fire, it was this, like, I felt like there was a missing, um, section in the fire community, um, that was like at its base, the financial dependence retire early movement, um, like evolved out of this, like minimalism frugality, um, kind of mindset. And I thought that was valuable, um, to a certain point, but then as your income rises, um, the frugality becomes like you're just making sacrifices into your own life. Um, and then, particularly when we are working at FANG, we we're talking about new hire. If you're a software engineer, new hire, um, your total comp, if you include equity, can already be like $200,000 um, after your first year, which is a, an obscene amount of money for someone starting out, um, which also means like the ability to very quickly uh, accumulate significant amounts of um, net worth if they're able to. Like have some degree of um, understanding of their finances, some degree of understanding of what they should be doing, they could really just like buy themselves so much optionality in their lives over time. Um, so that's always been the, the my big belief. It's like less around, let's live really frugal, let's save every dollar that we have. It's more on like, if you're working at these fame companies, you're making in the one percentile um, income bracket, potentially right out of school. Um, you don't have to be hitting home runs if you could just nail these basic things and avoid some of the big pitfalls like don't buy that tesla immediately after you graduate don't immediately lock yourself into a 5000 a month um one bedroom apartment just for you in that high rise downtown um if you can scale it back a little bit like hey if you're in a city like new york and san francisco like what if you don't, you don't really need a car it's actually much more challenging to have a car um like hey like you just graduated college you were probably living with roommates like what if you extend that um, when you're moving to these cities and having a roommate um, that also works in tech? I'm like, you could still live in that luxury um, building, um, but if you split it across three people, a three bedroom, um, all of a sudden it becomes a much more reasonable amount. Um, so it's all around like avoiding those big, high recurring expenses that kind of prevent you from like quickly kind of allowing the income and um, benefits from that income and the savings from that to kind of like start accumulating early on um and that's always yeah. been the the big thing it's like not about being frugal i'm like you're you're earning a good amount of money you can you don't have to be um entirely frugal to still be able to pursue something like financial independence
0: yeah i was looking up here cuz i i recently saw like what percentage of your income you have to save to get you to retire in x number of years and so yeah. I found it actually. And it basically says like, if you want to retire in 20 years, you need about to save about 35% of your income. Again, these are all estimates based on probably about an 8% return. So if you have a four year down market, that's going to be different. And then it says 50% of your income is 15 years, 65% of your income is 10 years, 80% of your income is, is five years, but What I find in kind of the the conversations around fire that is a little bit interesting is like everybody views this in a static world, right? So like when I go to FinTwit and I see like these extreme frugalists, I think that's a word. I see these people and they talk about like, hey, you know, I'm saving, let's use example, I'm saving 50% a year right now. I'm going to retire in 15 years. That doesn't really take into account when you have a 8% inflation over three years, right? That doesn't really take, and and again, this is all estimating pretty much that you keep your spending the same. So if you barely spend today, in 15 years, are you still gonna spend $2,500 a month? Is that what you want your retirement to look like? Now you don't have the job, right? You have the assets to live on, you have all day to do everything, but you don't have any money to spend, right? Like that's that's such a small amount. And so I feel like as we go through this conversation, I I feel like my role is gonna be to kind of Take the other side, even though I don't yep. really believe necessarily the other side. Like to me, I have about a 40 to 50% savings rate right now. Like that that's my goal, 40 to 50% investment rate. And it's not really so that way I never have to work again by 35 or 40. Yep. I, I, I like the idea personally to never have to save again by 35. Like to me, I think that is, that will give so much freedom where, you know, as you grow a business, you can choose to not take something that grows your revenue, right? You're like, Hey, that client would make me a ton of money, be an amazing financial decision, but it won't be fun. So I'm going to say no to that every single time. Right? Like I think the optionality it gives is the biggest benefit of FIRE because What I found is the the general route for most people, especially because a lot of these people are like you, right? Like you find value. You're you're very smart. Like if you don't go to work every day, like you do have to redefine your value. I wrote a post a couple of weeks ago about like, I don't remember this percentage, but it's like a vast majority of athletes experience extreme depression and anxiety when they retire because they went from this whole life of building towards something, finding meaning in it to you basically restart a brand new life. And I don't think people realize that's actually what retirement is like for the regular person. If you look at like life expectancy after people retire, happiness after people retire, it's not really this thing that's so much better, which is now where I find a lot of people like you and I, the route is give us the ability to retire at a young age. But what ends up happening is they just choose a job they would like more. So like the perfect example is you, right? So 15 years from now, you never have to save again. You don't even really have to, not even save again, but make another dollar. And you say, I'm actually more passionate about personal finance. I'm going to start a coaching business. It doesn't have to be super expensive. I don't have to worry about the income. This is all fun money to do extra vacations, extra things. Like that's where I find more people falling in line with, or like, Hey, I'm going to go work at a charity or, you know, for some people, maybe they have kids later on and they want to spend more time with their kids when they're young. Like I, I. I really like that idea. And one idea that actually is not talked about enough. So Justin Costelli is my old boss. He's who I work for. And he wrote this awesome post on like how we all think about life a little bit wrong. And he talked about like the, the, the general thing is like you work in your 20s and more in your 30s and more in your 40s. And then you kind of slow off. And he's like, in all reality, if you do things really well and you're a family person, the ideal world would be work a ton, have young kids scale back. Kids get older, scale up. Kids get out of the house, scale up. But that's like the exact opposite of what is like common. Yeah.
1: It's super interesting. And I think the, the doing all this work. And like, I think sometimes people in the fire community get so hung up on like, their goal is a number. Their goal is to fire. Um, and then once they hit that fire at the same thing that you're talking about with the athletes, it's like, what is my purpose now? I, I, I accomplished what I want to accomplish. Um, I tied my entire identity and my, all of my purpose and goals in life to hitting this number, um, quitting my job, not having to work. Um, and then there's that big, like, okay, now what do I do? Now do I spend my time on? Um, and there's, I can't think of a faster way to, um, be like, yeah, age, fall into depression, just have overall anxiety. Like, that ends up being super existential. It's like, what is my purpose? Like, what is the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? Like, it's like, we're so wired. Um, And particularly, I think like high achieving, uh, high achieving workers that are like working at these like super competitive jobs that are super demanding. And they're just like, I don't know, grinding it out. Like, how do you just like instantly stop um, and do nothing? Um, I think it can be such a big whiplash, particularly like we tie so much of our identities around. Um, like, what do we like our work and like our friend groups are, are tied to um, working as well. And kind of everyone is so intermingled around that. And when you start removing that, I can definitely see where people like fall off and be like, okay, like I need um, something. And, And like you said before too, it's like, this is not that uncommon. Like, I think people in the fire community like to think everything is special when you're doing retirement early. Like, This is the same thing someone that's like 67 that's going through normal retirement is facing too, where you hear about people retiring and then being like, Oh, this is uh, not something I actually enjoy. I hate playing golf. Um, I'm actually going to go back to work or continue um, building up a a side consulting business because that's what kind of drives them. That's what gets them excited. It's not just letting them sit around and kind of decay. um, Which I think is, is the, the worst thing that you could be doing. It's Just getting so pinned up on one thing and not thinking about, okay, like, what are you retiring to? What are you firing to? Um, And again, for me, it's all around like the ability to do these things, the ability to um, do nothing. I would never do nothing. That that sounds unfulfilling, Um, but the the allure of being able to, that's definitely something that's appealing, but there's no way in reality that you would actually be doing that.
0: Yeah. I I feel like, me personally i chase fulfillment over income i i'm very happy to have the ability i think to do both at the, the same time but like i just think through and like you know a lot of it's a common thing for financial advisors to grow their business hit their hit their you know 100 clients that they have and then stop right they have the lifestyle business they're not really growing but I know myself and that will make me unfulfilled. Like there's something like, so, so my history is like all of my middle school, high school time was all about basketball. All I wanted to do, you know, play college basketball, had division one, division two offers, played basketball, got hurt, got burnt out, decided to stop. So like I, from the earliest age, I've been ingrained to be like, I am working towards something. Like that's, that's how my whole mind works. So then it's was like, graduate college, start your job. And it's like, okay, now I need to work towards having the right number of clients, growing the clients, growing the marketing. Like, I just like, I mean, it's the same thing. I have, you know, fitness, all these things. Like, I'm just a, here's my goal. Let me work towards it, accomplish it. Well, okay, that's done. What's the next goal? Like, that's just- how it is. And I think there's good and and bad into that, but I think it is one of those things too. You have to acknowledge it about yourself. Like some people are like, they're chillers, right? Like they're, they can be fine. Not like they don't really actually get purpose from work. They work is just kind of a thing that they have to do. And that's okay. So that person might be able to pursue fire in a different way, stop and be like, you know, Hey, I I hang out with my family. Like I go do go on walks. I work out like, you know, all of those things. And I'm pretty happy in life. And I, I think we skip this step. Like we skip of like how fast can we retire? What can we do? But we don't self-identify what we need to be happy because if if we're retiring to nothing and we're not going to be happy, I'm sure you'd rather wake up at 8.30 a.m. on Monday and work knowing you have something to do, some value behind you than like, I'm sleeping in, I feel like a bum, I'm not happy Like, I I just think that identification piece of who we are and what makes us happy is something that people overlook, not not only in FIRE, but just in everything that we do finance-wise. And so when you sit here and talk about FIRE, like, I think our agreement is like, Fire is a good goal. It's a great thing to have the optionality, but we don't necessarily both align with like extreme frugality. And I think it's a little bit easier from the personal financial planner side of working with people, watching people pass away early, watching divorce happens, watching kids pass away and and realize and learn through that. that like, really tomorrow is unpromised. That's like some buzz quote we hear in our heads, but it doesn't ever feel like it's going to happen to us but in all reality it does and, and it might and if we give up everything today to then have an uncertain future that doesn't exist because now you now you're disabled you, you you like you you don't get to live the life that you wanted i don't necessarily think that that is the right way to do it but i do think that there is a good way to do it where we're saying like okay we're going to invest a set percentage of our income maybe that means we have you know, a little bit smaller apartment or a little bit smaller house, maybe instead of having the Tesla, we have the $35,000 Mazda. Like that really isn't giving up a lot. You're not giving up experiences. You're not like, we never go on vacation as a family. We never go out on meals, but it gives you that optionality down the road. Like I, I just, I hate throwing my biases onto other people, but I also think it is part of my job to help people live a life that's fulfilling and true to themselves and realize that we all have a lot of biases in our own head that are like where those things don't happen to us. Like the good is always going to happen. Like we, very few people really think through the bad things and internalize it. That is a reality that they could face. Yeah.
1: No, definitely. And I think the same thing, the, like, I think there's a lot of parallels to, um, like dieting and eating healthy. Uh, if you go to the extreme of like, all right, I'm, I'm not being healthy. I'm going to cut back and like immediately start like fasting, which I think is the equivalent of like, I have unhealthy, I spend a lot and now I'm going to like Go extreme frugality, and it's just like not sustainable. Um, Like building out a like making those big shifts and those hard swings, um, and doing it in that way of like sacrificing your own um, fulfillment. Like you could just like overcorrect in the wrong direction, um, but then that will end up causing you to then start purge eating or purge spending, um, and kind of swing in the other direction. Um, So I think it's all around like finding that balance, finding what you're living for, like finding out what like what do you actually um need to be fulfilled in life like how much is enough um and thinking to like what even thinking through like the concept of like what does enough even mean um that's been one of the more healthy exercises that I've thought I was like okay like what would be like if you had to put down like a, a set of like it's not even just a number like i think you could back up into the number but it's like what does a life look like where um like you don't need to work like what would be the things that you would need to have um and like for me i was going through I was like okay let me let me think through um like What would, um, if I have all of these like base things taken care of, like, what would that look like? I'm like, okay, I have a, a five-year-old now, like maybe that would look like having a funding for four years of college for her. Um, and maybe it also involves, um, like having a house. Um, maybe it also involves like maintaining the amount of spending that I'm doing right now. Um, and like all of a sudden, like you start adding up these things and it's like, okay, like. And I want to be able to see my family that lives across the coast, like X number of times per year. And like, maybe it's also adding in this amount spending on vacations. I um, mean, like you start building up this list of things like, okay, these are the things that I, I value. This is what like enough could look like. Um, and then, it, then you start layering in. Okay. Like a lot of these are, are, are just simple equations. Like, okay, how much does four years of college cost? Um, how much does um, having a, a, uh, house cost. How much does like maintaining that like um, current spend level um, cost? Which I think is like a much more healthy like um, like I think it's you. Were, you think you were talking about recently. It's like budgeting backwards of like how much do you want to spend? How much do you need? It's not about like especially when you're working in like in in tech and like in these higher income um, fields. Like you're not budgeting to kind of like restrict yourself. You're like it's more of a like like what do you need to spend and how much is left? Like how much do you um, want to like be allocating to different goals in life and different kind of like situations. Um, And then like working backwards. Okay. Like how much is enough? How much do I need? Um, And how much is oftentimes like I have this much left over. What's the most optimal thing I could be doing with that?
0: Yeah. I love that. I I want to talk about both things that you just talked about there. Um, And I was actually just going to go into this. So this is perfect. And I, I'm actually pretty impressed the way that you think, because even when I talk to like the average DIY person, this is not how they think. And and the backtracking is the right way to do it. That's why with all the people that I onboard, all the people we help just create a financial plan or work with us, we say like, what are are we trying to accomplish, right? Like, what is this life that you're looking to have? And so that might be like, ideally we'd retire at 55 and let's say live off of $10,000 a month. We want to pay both of our kids' colleges. We want to travel, you know, $20,000 a year. You know, we want to buy a new house in two years. Okay, great. Here's what that's going to take to do. Okay. Yep. Let me let me like for the high income people, this is this is what we do. Low income people, very different. but high income people, you say, here's what it takes to do. Here's what would be left over. Tell me how that makes yep. you feel. Like do you, do you feel like that? Like you've been spending almost double that. You know how how does that make you feel? And the goal really is for them to internalize and, and say, maybe I should scale back my goals. You know, maybe actually I'd rather you know retire five years later but I can keep my spending how it is. I can keep doing the things I want my kids. I can do the vacations. Or you say, well, hey, those are my goals. We will cut the spending or they fall somewhere in the middle and say, "Uh, you know, maybe we could just do a housing project. We probably wouldn't have to upgrade houses and that would let us do here, but we scaled back on something. Like, I think that's the only way to help people is show them what it takes and let them realize if it's the goals that need to change or their spending that needs to change because most people do have a lot of fluff in their spending and and what they're doing because they just didn't really think anything different need to be done. So I love that you talked about that because it it is important to visualize exactly what it looks like. I love that instead of you saying, I want to pay for my kid's college, you said, I want to pay four years, you know, private college. Like that's very different than, Hey, I live in Illinois and I want to be able to cover, you know, Indiana or Illinois state university yep. for years. Like that's very different than I went to Butler, right? Like you really have to think through those things. The other point that I, that you made that I love is the, what is enough? The the caveat to that is the goalpost move for most people, but I yep. think it's a really important exercise that almost nobody does. And Funny enough, in about a month, I'm having somebody come on podcast. I don't know if you know who Kay he is, but he's a pretty famous, I think he maybe has 50 some thousand Twitter followers. Like he's a great writer and he's all about that. And I'm excited to talk about it because I think it is for one, a really important exercise to figure out what your enough is. But I think then the step further is how do I let it be my enough? Because it's easy to say, like, I'd be fine with all of these things. How is it like, let's use you, for example, let's say you know, you get two more promotions at Meta in the next five years, and you make double, right? Like, do the goal does the gold post change in that situation? Yeah, it probably does, and that and that's yeah. okay. And like for me, I'm working with all accumulators, people who sometimes go from two hundred thousand to a million of income in three to five yeah. years. So like, you're planning for all these goals, but then you have to be aware that all these goals are drastically changing as as your life and your income yeah. and the things you value all change. But I still think that exercise is valuable. And I still think we have to plan, take a best guess at what we're planning towards, but be okay to changing it over time yeah. and pivoting. But that's why, like, yeah. the whole idea of the fire and the flexibility and investing now does give you the difference in the ability to be more flexible. Cause it could be the flip side, too, right? It could be three years from now, you know, somebody in your situation, like one of the spouses is really sick and you're yeah. like, we, we have the flexibility now that I could take three years off of work while we go through chemo so I can be there with you, help take care of the kids. Yeah. Like that, that's to me what I love about the early yeah. investing and the flexibility is that like you have that ability because then I have some other clients who are like, they have no optionality. They, they've done everything wrong for 10 to 15 years. They have IRS debt. They have no savings. They still have all these loans. If anything like that were to happen to them, tomorrow you're at work. It, it yeah. does not matter. Right. And then that's where to me, like we all talk about like money doesn't bring happiness. But I think to a, a pretty decent degree it does. Right. Like yeah. the person, like you probably, I don't know how you feel, but you might feel like, you know, you go out for dinner and you don't even have to think about it. Right. You order what you want, you're with your family, you walk away. And then you have the other person who they've done everything wrong with their finances. They sit down at dinner and they're calculating the numbers in their head. They're worried, like they know they want the steak, but they get the half chicken. They get yeah. one drink versus two drinks. Like The difference in the person that just gets to be there and not have to think about those things, I I would have a hard time believing that somebody would say that that is not a feeling that gives them more happiness.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I I, I agree with that entirely. I think like the getting to the point where you're not needing to think about your finances, not needing to think about your spend and like knowing you'll be covered, knowing you'll be still like on track to hit your goals. And I definitely what you were saying before around uh, understanding what enough is and letting it be enough but also being able to have that flexibility like i resonate with that a lot like i i i also think like it's it's super valuable like to go through that exercise of like what is enough but also like writing out like your mission statement of like what is like the like the why behind um what you're doing um and that's something an exercise that i do like every single year where it's like i write out like okay this is what my mission statement was last year um like what is my mission statement now like what has changed. Like, I, I think it's okay. Like there's like two things that kind of like counteract each other. Like one is that like the, that one more year um, syndrome where like, okay, if you hit enough, like how do you let it actually be enough um, and make like decisions based on that versus like continuing to move those goalposts. Like that's like one piece of it. But the other is like your life changes so much, like on a a year to year basis, particularly like early on, like um, especially I'm thinking now, like I have a five-year-old, like um, if you would have asked me Five years ago, pre-child, like what enough would be, it's drastically different than what it is now. Um, and every single year, it kind of like you get better at assessing um, what enough is, and like what enough is can change too. And I think it's okay, like figuring out what um, what vet, what you value, um, because like every single like I think about things in terms of like three-year chunks um, of life. Like it's like so hard for me, like if I'm to go back like five years to like guess and predict what would what would what would be happening in my own life. Um, So I feel like it's like so uh, futile to think about like, okay, 30 years from now, this is exactly where I'll be. Um, I was like, I don't know where I'll be in five years. Um, And I think that's even more true for a lot of us tech workers that are in like the San Francisco's, the New York's, or like these like extremely high cost of living areas where um, a lot of our long-term planning is like, I'm going to leave this place. Like, I don't know where I'm going to go, but um, I'm not planning on staying here forever. So me in San Francisco, been here nine years, um, the entire time working in in tech, like my enough number, is not enough to fire in San Francisco? Um, because that's not what my goals are right now. Like my goals aren't around being able to retire early in San Francisco. Um, like I, if that changes though, if like, Hey, like my, my daughter is starting kindergarten next year and like, we're really loving it. And we can actually see ourselves here for the next like 15, 20 years or longer then all of a sudden I go back to my mission statement my mission statement needs to change into like, need to have a house in San Francisco, which is going to be very different than like, I need to have a house in like Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, That, and that again, like it just adjusts the equation, adjusts like those things. Like I think it ends up being that that's okay. Like how many more years of, of work is that? Um, And then especially when you're talking into fire, like I'm uh, 36 right now, Um, I'm talking about like, okay, like what would be the difference between a San Francisco fire and a north carolina fire um i think it's, it would be like i don't know like a, a sub five year time frame and like maybe that's okay like maybe working an extra five years to live somewhere you really want to live and not have to make any sacrifices um around that like that could be perfectly fine or otherwise it could be like, like no like,
0: trade-off right yeah you want to view that like to somebody they would much rather be like get me out five years early. Like I'll go to North Carolina. It'll be solid. And then you have the other person who's over here and they're like, man, I I, I would much rather work five years as where my friends are, as my family are. Like, I want to be able to see my, my, I want my parents to be able to see their grandkids. Like that's the number one choice. And I think that's like, I think this is the hard part about personal finance. Like I think people, when they view me and my job, they view like, he's going to tell me where to invest. When in reality, that's part of it. But like, this is the conversation that happens way before it, right? Like the the investments are the backside. The the financial planning is like, let's evaluate these things. Like you don't actually know, like what what is it like in North Carolina? Can we retire there? You know, what is that going to be? And what's the trade-offs here? What do we care about? What do we like? Like, it's all about our life, our values, our goals. What do we care about? Making the right decisions and optimizing around those things. I think that's like the biggest misconception, but I don't think you need a financial planner to do that. I think a lot of people do. And then there's people like you who don't, right? Like there, I'm sure there's ways that like, if you worked with me that I would add value for you, but there's also like, you're pretty much there. Like you get it. You've thought about it. You've spent the time doing it. You understand how to view the risk, the trade-off, what to prioritize. Like that is the most important part to me. Yeah.
1: That's what I really valued the, the, about you and kind of your service too. Like you're like, you do have those like, uh, ad hoc, like, hey, I want to meet like this kind of like do-it-yourselfer um, kind of going to you. And like, as opposed to what I see so much uh, and like the transparency. So I think the, for everyone um, like listening, I think like, I don't know, Thomas is one of the most transparent like funding um, and like costs uh, that you I've seen in like going through and like looking at, I talked to a lot of financial planners and financial advisors um, and various elk of that, of that nature. Um, and like, you can go to your site and see like, okay, this is exactly how much it, it costs. This is exactly what I'll be getting, and like the expectation setting, um, I mean, is so important. And I think there's so much, um, like lack of transparency in, um, the 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 financial community, um, where you have a group of like tech workers. Like I think that like we tend to be like a highly skeptical bunch because as soon as we graduate, we're getting calls from our friends um, that work as uh, financial advisors slash like insurance salesmen, and like we're getting pitched annuities and getting pitched all of these products um, or really trying to get uh, assets under management and like as the, the immediate thing or like really high expense um, funds. And like, oftentimes the you'll have people that have been burned early on and all of a sudden get completely soured to um, the industry and they shift sure. really hard into like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to like try to um, like make all the decisions myself and like but i'm not actually that interested in that. i think like, i don't want to be doing this i just don't want to be taken advantage of and there's that huge fear of being taken advantage of that's preventing people that actually could get a tremendous amount of value from talking with uh, financial professionals is just the 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 stigma um and like fear of like okay there's like what is the difference between um like a advisor a planner like assets under management or fees um and being able to like understand those it's like uh, a job in of itself of like okay I need to evaluate yeah. the options that I have and it ends up being overwhelming and then by default to avoid that like I'm just going to do nothing and that's the like wanting to thread that balance in between those I think is something that's super important.
0: Yeah, it's funny I uh, I had a blog post a few weeks ago about like do you need a financial planner a financial planner and I had some advisors like get really mad about it that like every single person needs a financial planner they need direct indexing and tax loss harvesting every single year and I'm like. They do, but they don't. Like, this, sure, that might be beneficial, but like, you know, it'd be better if you went to the doctor every single month, right? Like if you every month went in and got your blood checked and made sure everything was right, right? That would be the most important thing. But doctors don't say the only way you can work with them is if you do that, right? They understand that that's not how it works. And to me, my thing is I realize there's a lot of tech people, especially they're like, I'm really smart. I have the time to do this, but there are certain things I'm missing. And if I knew them, I would handle them myself. So like, I have a model where, we get the people in. We do about five meetings, five to six, depending on what it is. I get them a financial plan, and I take it a step further. I meet with them and help them go implement it all on their own. They, they go, we'll, we'll go have them reinvest at Vanguard. We'll help them, you know, whatever those things are. And then instead of paying a brand new financial plan fee, whenever life changes, they can come back and just pay me hourly for, hey, I already know most of the stuff. We don't have to backtrack. You don't have an ongoing plan. Or you don't need four meetings a year but in two years when your income goes up a ton and now you have ISOs and you've only ever had RSUs and you need to figure this out. Great. Come back to me. I'll help you do it. And even if I think that's like 90% is optimal as like the 1% extra tax savings from direct indexing and tax yeah. and investment management. Like that's okay. People don't have to hundred percent perfect do things. And I yeah. feel like everybody, like I'm sure health and fitness people are like every single person should have a nutritionist, um, a personal trainer, they should go to their doctor. Right. But that's just not how it happens. Right. We have to realize how human behavior works and sometimes meet people where they are and help them where they want the help. And I, I just, I, I think that there's not enough people doing that yet. No, definitely. So definitely, thank, definitely. Thank you for saying all that, man. I, I really appreciate the, the kind words on that side. Um, but I guess like going back to some of the fire stuff, like what do you have some closing thoughts here? You know, some opinions, like I feel like we've kind of gone all over the place in yeah. such a great meeting, meaningful conversation. I don't even know if the right title for this is fire. We're going to have to like kind of think about what the right part of this conversation is, but I think it was like yeah. really meaningful. These are things that I don't think we've talked about very often on here.
1: Yeah. And I think the, like, the thing that I encourage everyone is like, Figure out your why. Like I think the it's easy to back out into like your numbers, but like what is the why behind it? Um, And for me, like I I can I can tell you, I feel like my why is and my mission statement, which I write every single year. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's like I want to be Avocado Fire in the next five years after hitting my enough number, which I've backed out to be around three point three million in index funds, a six hundred thousand dollar housing fund, and a ninety thousand dollar college fund. And I want to be able to achieve these goals while ensuring that I set up my daughter to have a future where she's able to contemplate all of these ridiculous things we're talking about now. Um, Like the whole fact of early retirement is such a crazy um, thing um, that I don't want to be making sacrifices in uh, my goals to prevent her from having that same optionality um, in her life, which would mean like, Hey, like I could retire now in um, small town, Texas, Arkansas, um, but that doesn't set her up to have the same, values and choices that I have in my own life. Um, And I added an extra one this year because it's always changing. Every year I I revisit, I'm sorry, one second. Every year I revisit my mission statement because it evolves. And like this one for me now is I also want to be living somewhere that I could see myself for the next three years, because being in San Francisco, I'm always thinking about like, what is the long-term plan? Like what is the long-term plan Um, and trying to figure out where where that could be, like where, where I could stay. Um, and I think I've, I've, I think I've settled on San Francisco is going to be my home for the next three years, um, based on like where I've been able to get my daughter into school next year. Um, and kind of like back into all those pieces and like having that predictability of like, okay, this is where I could see myself in the next three years. And then being able to work backwards, um, is, is super valuable and has provided a lot of, um, like just like consistency and reliability into kind of how I think things. So that's kind of like my big, my big thought is like, Understand how much is enough, understand your why behind that, um, and then also be able to like roll with the punches and be flexible. Like, life changes every year. Like, be kind to yourself. um, And as you're doing these evaluations, Uh, and then the only other thing I'll add is like, you don't need to be um, super binary on your decisions. I think oftentimes people will go to the extremes of, I'm either going to be working full time in my FANG job, or I'm going to retire early. Um, I'm going to be living in San Francisco or I'm going to be living in this small town um, to save money. Um, and it can be like this, like, or I'm going to wait till I'm fire to leave San Francisco. Um, like all of this lives on a spectrum. Um, and like, hey, now with the possibility of remote work, it's like, hey, like maybe I can keep my thing job and go to a North Carolina um, while I'm still working. Um, and I can accelerate my long-term plans um, while still like, Um, like testing the waters and seeing things out because the reality is life's going to change. The reality is you're enough um, will change or what your goals are and what you value in life are going to evolve every single year of your life. Um, And just like buy yourself that optionality, buy yourself that flexibility um, and just be willing to um, like roll with things and make those adjustments. And for me, fire is all about having that optionality, building that buffer where you can make those changes um, and it won't, impact you negatively. You just have that optionality and that, that, um, that base, um, your basis cover where you're able to make those decisions to optimize everything else, but the money part, because that's taken care of already.
0: Yeah. I, I think actually the, the title of this should be like, um, invest for optionality or invest early for optionality or, or something like that. But I love that you you did that. It's actually like in all of our financial plans we have for clients is we give them the ability to have like their mission statement. I don't force people on it. Cause some people that are new to finances are not at the point where they, they have that. Oh, okay. Like I get the, the way that I handle money is actually my why yeah. I try to push people to it. Some people are like still so in the foundational stages that they're just like, Like I only, I can't even think that far beyond, but I think it is really important. And when I think about mine, um, the one that I've really had for myself is all centered around optionality, fulfillment, um, and enjoyment really in life. Like when, you know, if I prioritize, Hey, I could work 60 hours a week and make, you know, 72 more thousand dollars a year, I can hire somebody and work half that. I'm going to hire somebody and work half that as long as I still have the right amount of money to live my life and do the things that I want. And, you know, when I think about like, am I going to go on the vacation or am I going to invest that extra, you know, $5,000 a year? Well, hey, if I, I'm already on track, right? Like I should be picking that vacation, that experience, because you don't know how long you're going to have that. And like, you know, my fi- fiance and I, we're probably gonna have a kids in a couple of years and that makes vacations, you know, a lot different. And so, You know, I I think it is really important because when you're stuck at a crossroads and you're trying to make a decision, you go back to that, right? Like the I think a great example. I have this with a client is like their why was all about family, being close to family, having time with their young kids. And he got a job offer where they would move across country. It would be like he would be gone all the time traveling for work. And in that moment, you get that offer, and all you can think about is the extra money and how great that's going to be. And then you go back to that why and say, Never once in here did I say my goal is only to make the most money, right? Like these, I, I just told myself these top four priorities, it's not on there. So when I know I'm gonna give up all four of those things for money, then that's probably not the right choice for me. And I think that that that's the power of having that that understood, right? Like for you, there could be something that comes about, it's it, it's put in your face, and we're all human, right? We all, you know, the flashiness, the great, this could be awesome. But then, after internalizing it for a little bit, you go back to your "why." If it takes you away from that, it's not going to be the decision you make, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and then even like I think like always entertaining the the possibility. I'm like, oh, maybe maybe that is interesting. Like maybe that will challenge me in ways that I, when I was writing this initially, I didn't think about. Um, and like, how do how do I bake that in? Um, and I think that's that, that's okay. Like that's healthy. Like having those um, adjustments. And I, I think the the why is always more important than the the what and like i have my numbers in my mission statement but like it doesn't need the numbers at all like it's just like the like and then when you're making decisions of like does this decision help me get to my why faster or not and in most cases like oftentimes you're like oh it will be if you do the numbers and it's like it will help me get there six months faster. I'm like okay that's not really worth making this such a drastic change over um like six months. And I think that's when it's helpful having that um why down and then getting to the numbers because then to me, making those trade-off decisions become much easier. So I like that idea of thinking about this in terms of like, what is optionality and and really being the the main driver and main um,
0: yeah, goal. Yeah, I love that. This is this is a longer podcast than normal, but this has been like one of my favorites, I have to say in, in a really long time. And so I'm gonna give you one more question that I think it would be good. So you just mentioned you're on a cruise, you read The Psychology yeah. of Money. That's my favorite book. It's the number one book I recommend. Honestly, personal finance or not, I don't think there's a single writer Creator, etc., that's changed my viewpoint on life and money, or at least reinforced my beliefs in a way that now I understand better. I'm curious, what was like your biggest takeaway from that book? Like the thing that hit the home most for you, or like the you know the biggest learning? And I'll share mine after yours.
1: Yeah, let let me, let me think through. Like the there's just so many. I think like every single chapter um, does such a good job of like condensing um, extremely clearly um, like my own worldview and kind of, like, how I think about things. Um, so I'm trying to think through, like, if there's just, like, one specific um, area. So I'm curious to hear yours. And then uh, that also buys me a little bit more time to to come back to mine.
0: Yeah, I think um, for, I, I don't know how long it was, but I feel like for the longest time, like, I I had, for one, the whole idea ingrained in my head that, like, money doesn't provide any happiness, right? Like, it's just life. <laughs> And you don't need any money. And I think part of it that helped me realize is that money does bring happiness, but in, in the way of the, I think it goes the theme of this whole podcast, it brings happiness in the way of the freedom and the flexibility it gets. So he, he has like the direct quote that says like, nothing has ever been proven to give you more happiness yeah. than having the ability to do what you want with who you want, when you want, without having yeah. to ask anybody for approval. And like, I always had the uh, thought in my head, I've never wanted to be a business owner. I've said it hundreds of times. Like that just sounds horrible to me. And then now that I am, I I don't think I would trade it for anything. Like there are the stresses, there are the hard parts about it. But like the fact that I'm like, I create the exact schedule I want. Like I know on Mondays, I don't want to do any client meetings. I don't want to, I don't want the anxiety on a Sunday. Like, am I prepped? Am I not? So I never have to do that. I work out at 10 AM every day. I, st- I get up, I work for a while and then I go work out when it's less busy. I stop work when I want to. Right now I do every fourth week, no client meeting so I can do deep work. Over the summer, I probably work half you know, half the time. I strike annual reviews when I want to and nothing has to have the approval. And like, if I have a life situation going on, I need to go see my parents or like my fiance is having a tough day. And like, you know, you know, this week, you know, Friday, she wants to get off, we go do something. Like I just have that freedom and I just think it reinforced to me that like, maybe I'm not thinking about this wrong, that like that my number one choice will be this. So like, you know, I, I'll have opportunities where somebody will buy my business and I'll go be an employee, but we'll have our own thing under them. Like, I don't think I would make that decision for the extra money because I think it would take away from the number one thing that gives me happiness. And that's the control over my life.
1: Yeah, I think the, the, I, I'm going through my, my, I have so many quotes that I pulled out of the book while I was reading it. Um, I was, I always. Um, while, I'm, while I'm reading, take quotes and and, and while I'm writing down. I um, mean, one of them I have is like, just resonated a lot with me. It's like spreadsheets are helpful to model historic frequency of big market declines, um, but they can't model the feeling of coming home, looking at your kids and wondering if you've made a mistake that will impact their lives. I mean, just kind of like being able to separate the the financial element and the emotional element um, was always, is, is a, I don't know, the, that, um, again, I, I feel like I've been talking almost, around that. Um, and I think Morgan's ability to to put that down into such a concise um, way is just like this. Uh, if you haven't read Psychology of Money by, by Morgan Hoswell, like highly recommended. There's like so many bangers. Every single page will be like, oh, it's such a good quote. It's such a good quote. I can't yeah, believe I, that he's made it so concise.
0: And I'll plug this. I don't know if you've seen, but he has the podcast now. He just started a podcast about three weeks ago. There's maybe eight episodes. Incredible. Incredible. Oh, I, have, I have it.
1: Awesome. So I got yeah. something to look forward to.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of the same like things in the psychology of money, but again, like hearing them a second time is always helpful. Um, again, everybody, um, I will plug it in the show notes, but just look up Morgan Howe. I think it's the Morgan Housel show is the name, but um, it's the Morgan Housel podcast is what it's called. It's it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. But thanks for joining me today, man. Let, let's Absolutely. let everybody know the best places to follow you, where your blog is, so everybody can go read. Because I think everybody should walk away with this conversation and be like, yeah, I, I can definitely learn some things from you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, on my, you can find me on my my Substack newsletter. It's at um, andrenader.substack.com. Um, the title of the newsletter is Fangfire. Um, if you want to Google, you'll find it there. Um, I'm also um, pretty frequently posting on LinkedIn. So just go ahead and look me up on there. Um, and those are the the two main places to find me. Occasionally on Twitter, but um, much, much more on on LinkedIn lately.
0: Okay. Perfect. Well, thanks for giving me the time today, man. I I really appreciate it. Um, And thanks everybody for listening. We will see you back next week. Thanks for having me.